on maynard.com.au. AU! It's Bunga Bunga with Tim Ferguson and Maynard. Woohoo! Episode 16, Buns of Steel, Thighs of Jelly. That title will become very appropriate as the show goes on because we have a lot here coming to you live from the Fru Cafe in Glebe Point Road with an audience of one. We've got Sue over there. Hi, Sue. Hey, how are you going? She's just trying to have lunch or something and we're making all this noise, Tim. Yeah, for God's sake, put something on, Sue. <laughs> it's that kind of place during the day. You go past at night and the place is shut. That's because it's so wild during the day that the New South Wales Licensing Police will just not have anything of them opening after three. Yeah, the New South Wales Licensing Police probably the least popular people in all of the world, and that includes North Korea. They do have some of the most impressive porn collections in the world. I've said too much. And in this episode of Bunga Bunga 16, we'll be finding out how you can get a lift from My Little Pony. <laughs> we'll be looking into the antique art, well, it's 2010 anyway, of dog shaming. <laughs> And we'll be talking about Vivid. What happened in Sydney with all of those slide projectors? And we'll be finding out what Tim's been doing when no one's been looking. (laughs) (laughs) But first, other people have errata, people have apologies for what they've done. We have recriminations. Recriminations, and we're going to deal with them. We're going to deal with them harshly, firmly and swiftly. First of all, on last week's show, at the very end of last week's show, for the first time ever on any of my podcasts, I put a little Easter egg in at the very end after the end credits where you actually revealed the Bunga Bunga joke to our uh, our waitress here who was more than shocked. I told the Bunga Bunga joke, but I realised upon listening to the recording that I got it wrong. I got it all terribly, terribly wrong. Which is good, which makes it even more enigmatic, because now, even though that's there, go back to last episode, have a listen at the very end, and you'll hear not what the meaning of Bunga Bunga is at all. Not at all. It gets it all completely wrong, and I'd like to apologise for that. Thank you for your recriminations. Well played. Have you got anything to say about the uh, reviews of your Newcastle show? Because you heard for the first time last week backstage at Doug Anthony's in uh, Newcastle, the reviews were things like, oh, they're very well presented. What did you think of the audience and what they thought of you? It's very flattering to hear so many nice things said about the Doug Anthony All-Stars, but sometimes I wonder if, is it just the kind of praise you give Nana because she can still play piano? Is it the sort of praise you give a four-year-old because they can count to two? It's hard to know. It's great that people seem to have had a good laugh. They seem to have found our anger, our fury, our simmering middle-classness Still, as they say, presentable. In this international year of the Doug Anthony All-Stars. Which goes on, well, for another six months. Also, I want to remind you that this show is not suitable for children. If you really want them to find out what a rubber phoenix is, which you might by the end of this episode, I suggest that might not be the conversation you want to have with your kids. I don't even know what a rubber phoenix is, but I'm thinking, I don't know, it flies. (laughs) Not for children. And in fact, this show is not for adults either. So you have been warned. Also at the show, there was lots and lots of people, because you speak about... 
the dream, following your dream because TikTok, the show is basically about your life running out and death. In a nice way, in a friendly way, and then in a really sad and angry way, yes. But it's not about hell. Don't mention that to Paul McDermott like I did, or you'll get into the existential angst that I ensured after I asked the wrong question. Well, he's already in hell in his own head. So for him, when you say you're worried about going to hell, it's like, what, I'm going to take hell to hell? They can't cope with it. You said, don't waste your life, make the most of it and, and follow your dream. And I asked people in the last episode what their dream is. And most people's their dream was to earn money or travel or own a big house. But that really wasn't answering the question because it was, what are you doing to get the big house? Or what are you doing to follow your dream? Mo mention of the starving millions, uh, helping blind people read, and certainly not even reading to blind people, which I would have thought would be something involving, you know, giving back. Uh, it seemed that all of our fans really just want to take, they want to accrue wealth, accrue real estate, then sit in it with the doors locked. Also later on this show, I broke one of the cardinal directions of Tim's life and I went and saw Morrissey at the Opera House. Look, I enjoyed myself. I think, like I said before, he's a little bit Elvis. He's a little bit Paul McDermott. Well, that's outrageous, whichever way you look at it. I'm offended on both of their behalves, even though I know Paul McDermott holds onto Morrissey like he's some kind of trophy. People have asked me, why don't you like Morrissey? As if I haven't spelt it out clearly enough. The reason why I do not like Morrissey is that if he is being ironic, he should be clearer about it. It's a bit like a scriptwriter Jan Sadi was told by an American producer, I don't understand this scene. And he said, well, it's all subtext. And the producer said, great, can you put the subtext on the page? Morrissey, can you put the irony forward, ironically? So do you think he gets away with it because of that reason? He's just writing stuff that's not particularly clear and it gets interpreted often like Shakespeare sometimes does as being greater than it really was intended. Yeah, well, I don't even think people take it that seriously. People will say, oh, Morrissey, he's a genius. I've yet to see anything genius-like. All I see is sort of middle-class, semi-vegetarian, wearing being gay as if it's some kind of existential crisis, whereas being gay is just being gay. is just one way of having sex, living your life and choosing the people you want to hang around. I'm not impressed by gayness. Wow. He had people running on stage, male and female, grabbing and pulling his shirt off him at the end of the show. Has that ever happened to you guys, the Doug Anthony's ever? I'm sure you've thrown yourself out into the crowd, but has the crowd ever came on stage and got something off you? <laughs> yeah, they regret it fairly swiftly, and not because <laughs> they're repelled, but simply because they tear off the garment and then they're stuck with one of the smelliest garments that anybody could ever have in their possession. And by the way, all your original garments are now in a museum in Melbourne in an airtight sealed case, I believe. Yeah, they're all at the Performing Arts Museum, and we left them with precise instructions that they must not be washed. Well, see, this is what I'd worry about because they aren't going to last because eventually your perspiration is going to rot away that stuff where if they were washed, maybe they would last longer. I saw one of the costumes, I think it was Richards, who was the tidiest of us, at the uh, National Museum in Canberra at a presentation, and I've got to say, it's starting to look flimsy, and it's, <laughs> it smells like corpse. Oh, it's like a... Ah, Edinburgh, 1991. Oh, yeah, not that fresh. It smells like a zombie just gave up in terms of hygiene. 
because it is difficult when you're on tour to clean your clothes in the first place. And Melor, Mr. Melor, who I spoke to, uh, who still doesn't know what he's doing with you guys, as does your sound producer. He didn't know either. No, neither of them had the first idea. And to be frank, we don't know what they're doing following us around on tour. And Paul Livingston's still pretty bitter about being tricked into the whole thing. I'm surprised he'd caught on to it. We've been uh, just building up his ego as much as we can, but uh, when I heard the recording of him saying that he'd twigged to the fact he's really just being exploited, I was a bit disappointed because now we have to come up with a new excuse as to why he's in the tour van. Sexual strumpet, as Paul would say, might be the most useful role. Bunga bunga! <laughs> this is the kind of thing that we've been wanting to talk about for a while, but I couldn't find a good example of. But yes, here it was, the Rainbow Crystal Delights Pony Plug. <laughs> oh man, these things, I didn't know they existed. You've got to look at them online. It's all on the Bunga Bunga page. And I put this up on the Bunga Bunga page so our audience could have a bit of a look at this because I thought, well, this is the kind of thing our audience will certainly have an opinion on, even if they don't want one in their own house. It's a dangerous thing to have in your own house. Certainly you don't want it on display because people will judge. They really will. But if you like the pretty colours, the beautiful pastels, the purples, the pinks, you know, they're quite pretty, but I'd conceal the butt plug bit. It's basically a butt plug with a colourful tail attached to it. And at first you're thinking, well, you know, I better make sure I get the right size. But beware that if you get the size that's too small, you could have a completely different problem. Yeah, it goes from being my little pony to my little ping hole. This would be big on the furry circuit. This would be big on the brony circuit. Certainly you need chaps to be worn so that it's clearly displayed. You've got a uh, collection of all sorts of things. Have you got any My Little Pony stuff? No, but I've been in touch with the My Little Pony guys. There's a very small bandwidth of them, and they are men. My Little Ponies were collected at the time by girls who got rid of them when they grew out of them. But there are guys who collect hundreds of My Little Pony toys, and they're perfectly happy. They just like collecting stuff, and it you know, I don't know, they like the colours, they remember the cartoons. Maybe it was the only thing their parents let them watch. Why can't they just have a pokey? That's pretty close to being a pony, like a Gumby and a pokey. Well, they could. Collecting things is all about getting the thing that you were not allowed to have or that was beyond your reach. And part of the problem is that you can't take it out of the packet, so you can look at it and keep it in a nice condition, but I always found that a touch frustrating. I've got two Xena dolls that way. I've got the Xena doll that rotates on the turntable thing and another one that's just in the packet. That's really special. I'm hard when I think about that. I've also got the I Dream of Jeannie doll of her inside her bottle. That's pretty cool. So the bottle's cut in half and you can see her sitting in there. That is insane. And I feel these sensations of longing, wanting and, and furious jealousy when I hear about those things because when I was a kid we couldn't afford to buy those toys and you know we just were given a stick which we were happy with that was a bloody good stick. And let's get the reaction from the Bunga Bunga audience when we revealed the rainbow and that's spelled R-E-I-G-N bow glass butt plugs for the My Little Pony look if you want to try and complete it. <laughs> Yeah, Grant McCarran straight onto this immediately because it's, it's sold as a unicorn butt plug tail. He goes, more My Little Pony than unicorn. The natural horsehair versions have been seen in the fetish scene for ages, says Grant. Well, of course, the fetish scene's always ahead of the zeitgeist. Mm, well, that's the whole pony girl thing. The fetish scene's already calling it zeitgeist. Yes. You just kind of have to imagine it's like a, a, a night at the old Harold Park trots, except with people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Alicia Rugby just says no, just no. That's what she says when she saw the photo. Well, some people want to play ponies and some people don't. Then Kiralee Flanagan takes it a bit further and she obviously looks at the photo very closely. She said that the fake tan doesn't go far enough to... uh, She can see where the fake tan ends and she says that the actual model needs to actually put the fake tan in her crack. Maybe it's worth looking at the Jabba the Hutt tale. Patty Mack, of course, got very confused because when she uh, saw the thing for the unicorn pony plug, she thought was thinking of it being the front end, the pointy bit. Where's the rest of the pony, you've got to ask? Lee Mighton says, here is something I never knew I would ever need. I I think we're going to be selling a lot of these. Well, it is one of those things when you hear about it, you know straight away if you want one. Kate Veach has recommended this to Leonie Hurst for her wedding party. It's definitely what they'd call a specialty item. Well, it's one of those things where you didn't know you wanted it until you see it, and then you know, like Morrissey Moog. You know if you want that album straight away, and you know what it says about you. Ben Payton, Hannah Reid, Rob Precious and Andrew Simpson, big fans of it. Big fans. Well, those people have always been adventurous and forward-thinking and uh, first adopters of some technologies that other people would disparage. I've actually been thinking that adult shops must be difficult for wheelchair-enabled people because most of them are upstairs and most of them don't have lifts. Tim, have you investigated the situation? I have investigated the situation because I travel in a wheelchair. It's really very simply sold. You just stop someone walking past and ask them to go into the adult store and get the items that you are hoping to get your hands on. Make sure you pick that person very carefully. And make sure you're very specific because as well as getting the wrong size, you don't want to get the wrong texture. Yeah, and if they uh, don't have very good English, make sure your miming skills are very precise because you can end up with, for example, the wrong colour of stallion dildo. You don't want the wrong size rubber phoenix. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. No, you don't want the wrong, wrong size of that, whatever that is. <laughs> I've just got this image of a classic French mime white face in a wheelchair at the front of Club X or something like that, trying to mime something. Does it have wings? Do they extend? It just comes out of the ashes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, that's dark. The unicorn pony plug from Rainbow. That's great. <laughs> And it's only for open-minded people. Your mind could be so open, your brain will fall out. And that's all on the Bunga Bunga Facebook page. Get along there, uh, join the conversation, or attempt to stop the conversation might be the better move to make. Well, it's certainly a conversation stopper, that's for sure. The stoppage of the conversation is happening from all angles. We do muck around a lot on Bunga Bunga, but as it is the International Year of the Doug Anthony All-Stars... More than six months into it, I think it's time for Tim Ferguson to present the six-month official audit report for the official International Year of Doug Anthony All-Stars. Tim, what's been happening? What are you? And remember, you're accountable but the FCC for this. Well, uh, renovations are up. The guitar is almost tuned. We're still working on that. Finances, are well as the Doug Anthony All-Stars, are always up. How's the goodwill? The goodwill flowing out from the group is as disappointing as it always was. Uh, But I can think all stars were never in it for the fans, were never in it to make people feel happier, never in it to make people just have a laugh and a good night out. So in terms of the All-Stars themselves, total success, because a lot of people do leave feeling disgruntled, abused and mirthful, but joyless. 
Well, we're six months into it. What shows have you had recently and what ones are coming up? Well, we flogged Parramatta last week and Parramatta probably won't call us again. Some things were said about Parramatta that um, will upset the football coaches. All in all, you know, another sellout show of crazy, fun-loving Western Sydney Australians. Coming up, we have Chatswood, which is in the heart of middle-class Australia. When people say, who the hell is voting for Tony Abbott? What they're talking about is Chatswood. First, there's Manly, but the other one is Chatswood. Women driving in Volvos with red setters, (laughs) helplessly barking in the back. The children of soccer mums screaming, kill me now, kill me now. The heartland of conservatism. And we'll be bringing arch-conservatism. The only way to wipe out mild conservatism is to push it as far as it'll go. As you've said on this very show about just about every industry involved in Australia, it takes a Stalinist to reform a Stalinist. That's right. So we'll be dealing with that particular problem. All in all, it's been a great six months travelling with two of the most tortured, miserable and unself-examining men that pesos could buy. What about the international component? Are you ready to announce anything overseas yet? Well, we were headed for Edinburgh, but I have a gigantic project that's been two years in the making. Can we talk about this? Uh, We can't talk about it just yet, but it's going to be huge, it's going to be fun, and so that's meant I've had to put off my international travel with the Doug Anthony All-Stars for a few months. But it is coming, it will happen. We are heading off overseas, but you will hear about both of these projects, like ASAFP. Here on Bunga Bunga in the future. And now the time that everyone's been looking forward to. A lot of people have been feeling a bit down, a lot of people have been feeling a bit depressed. And by the way, speaking of that, we will be getting to the Morrissey concert at the Opera House. I didn't speak to Morrissey, of course. He spoke to very few people when he was here. But I will be talking to a few people who went along on the Wednesday night. I'll be speaking to some people who got part of his shirt. And uh, I'll get you to do this now, Tim, because uh, a lot of people said that... I, I asked them, why were they fans of Morrissey? And they were fans of the Smiths back in the day and his solo work. And they said that he helped them through their teenage years. What a spiritual twizzle stick. What, who does he think he is? This is, It's actually the act of someone who is stupid because he does not have the brains to be considerate enough to the people who are making him sound good. Fuck him. And what about getting through the teenage years? High school's not that hard. I mean, it's hard. You get bashed up and you can't get sex with anybody. Except you, because you went to a school where you could be naked. Well, that's right. We could be naked. Didn't mean you could do anything with your nakedness. In fact, it kind of made it worse that everybody's walking around naked and you get to see, you know, people in their teen years who are looking as hot as they're ever going to go. But the fact is, when people say, Morrissey helped me through my teenage years, I put it to you that, in fact, you were in a middle-class family at a school that was being paid for by the government or your parents, you were given three meals a day. You were driven here, you were driven there, and on Friday nights, you were allowed out on a date where you were allowed up until 10 o'clock at night, whereupon somebody put their finger in you, and you're talking about Morrissey somehow being the crutch that got you through? He was like the thing you were listening to while you were doing pretty okay. That's almost like a premature right of reply there, Tim. It almost is, but I want to get onto habeas corpus when I get to that. So, for a very good reason, a very simple reason, fuck you, Morrissey. But right now, what's in? Maynard's buck out. Back.
that theme's just perfect. When I was transferring that theme, the tape didn't work properly, and I went, that's it, I don't want it done properly. Just then I tried to give every word its own planet. Well, here's the first little thing. Look at, look at that. Oh, my Lord. Is that uh, a proctology item? No, it's nothing to do with the crystal thing we saw. I know what it is. That's the phoenix toy you were talking about. No, it's not the rubber phoenix, because it is, in fact, a, a telescoping thing. Hang on. Here we go. It's, in fact, a $2 shop selfie stick. Which could double as one of those phoenix things you were talking about. But I get it. You put a phone on the end of the stick. And you put a timer on it and you pace it towards yourself and it means you can get a higher angle on yourself. I feel like a grandmother trying to negotiate the wiles of a mobile phone. It seemed particularly popular during the, uh, the Vivid Festival in Sydney with Japanese and Chinese tourists. What's not popular with those people? So long as you nod and smile as you hand it to them, they will nod and smile and receive it. So do you think someone owning a selfie stick says something about that person? Oh, I certainly believe so. Columnist, let's just call her Mrs. Mann, wrote in The Australian that the selfie, and I guess uh, an extension of that is the selfie stick, is the harbinger of a generation of narcissists. Well, a selfie stick indicates prior intent. It does. Prior intent to take your own photograph. She assumed that this was going to end up with a culture of young people becoming old people who don't care about anybody else. I don't think that's true at all. I think if I had a selfie stick, it would be fun. You'd get to take a photograph of yourself without having to ask a member of the citizenry to do it for you. I don't think selfies are at all unhealthy. Maybe when Kevin Rudd is in them or the Prime Minister is in them, but the rest of the time you're just taking a photograph of yourself standing in front of something or beside someone that you value. I always find interesting that people that are in a huge crowd have to be taking their own photo. Well, that's true, and sometimes you find that they're in the wrong crowd, like outside the Martin Place lint <laughs> crisis. There were people taking selfies. You've got to wonder what idiot wants to remember being in such a terrible situation. And speaking of terrible situations, did you enjoy recently in the US a shoplifter holed himself up in someone's house and the police took the chance to get their assault vehicle tank out and almost completely demolished the house with a tank to get a shoplifter? Wow, that's good. That's they caused a quarter of a million dollars damage to the house, which will have to be demolished. It looks like Osama bin Laden's compound. But Leo Leck is no terrorist, just an unlucky homeowner whose Greenwood Village property got caught in the crossfire. When this suspected shoplifter barged into Leck's home, trying to escape police... This is a paramilitary force used in a civilian environment. This is, you know, for, you know, for one gunman you know, to use this kind of firepower. Adding insult to injury, Lex says the Greenwood Village Police Department claims it is not financially responsible. Late this afternoon, Lex learned his homeowner's insurance policy will cover the damage done to the structure, but everything inside is a complete loss. That shows, you know, police are taking care of us and our belongings. There was also another selfie which didn't work out so well. A young guy took a selfie. He's a member of ISIS a uh, club of lonely hearts guys who hang around the middle of nowhere. The American Defense Force then used that photograph to pinpoint exactly where he was and within 20 hours had decimated the entire region. You should always have location off on your iPhone if you're doing that. You're basically pretty stupid. Hunt for Red October, top film or just a bad toupee? Oh. An awesome film. I don't know how many times I've watched Hunt for Red October. Comrades, 
This is your captain. It is an honour to speak to you today. Such a great story. There are people who disparage Tom Clancy, but those people are not worth hanging around. It is just an extraordinary tale. Australian actor. An Australian actor, Sean Connery. Oh, Sam Neill, yes, yes, and an Australian director, Philip Noyce. Very much an Australian film, when people and say, I, tell me an Australian... Listen, Tar- Tarantino was paid a lot of money to zip up the script. They wanted, they wanted to Tarantino-ize it, and there's a couple of lines, only a few lines in there from him, and he got paid a lot of money just for those couple of lines. I bet one of them is when Alec Baldwin is chasing the chef antagonist, and he is told, whatever you do, don't fire bullets. And he repeats, don't fire bullets, with a pretty good Sean Connery impersonation. I bet you that's Quentin Tarantino, because he always loves repeating his dialogue. It's a bit like Flacco, who likes doing stuff without dialogue, so he's on stage longer and has to write less. Much less. Um, I told him to actually explain what he's doing before he does that, but he said it would somehow ruin the joke. That's what makes him the genius. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Well, we actually haven't finished the bug out bag segment. There's an extended bug out bag segment. So you have to close your eyes, Tim. Close your eyes. Put out both your hands. The people in the cafe can see what I'm getting out. Closer, 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 closer. Okay, open them up. Oh, my God. I used to go out with all of them. It's Bananarama. That's not just any Bananarama book. That is the book I got from their 1989 world tour here in Australia. I first met them backstage at a benefit at which the Doug Anthony All-Stars were playing. Bananarama were there. And so very briefly, I did actually (coughs) go out with them in a very adult way. And they also turned up at the Mayor Club on a Monday night one night when I was doing the Mayor Club there. They turned up and... I think, well, okay, let's, yeah, they just bought some, and the club finished at three o'clock because back in those days, people were allowed to be out late on a Monday night in Sydney, and they wanted to know, okay, well, what's open after this? Well, on a Monday night after 3am, I think you'd be hard pushed any city of the world to find a club to go to. Yeah, very tricky, very tricky in Sydney, and Wagga, strangely enough. I think there's a photo of me and Jackie O'Sullivan there, who I sometimes call Big Nose. I don't know why. It doesn't look that big in the photo now. Maybe it was something I was going through at the time there. Jackie O'Sullivan, there's a photo of me and her together at the Mad Club, which is up at maynard.com.au. Well, I got nothing there. I mean, Jackie didn't want any photographs of what we were doing. I think I've also got a photo of John Lydon. He came along to the Mad Club once. That was an amazing thing. Otherwise known as Johnny Rotten. That's legendary. You know everybody, Maynard. Well, that's only because we were the only club open on a Monday night. It wasn't because A, I was playing anything good or doing it in a good way. It was the only place to go. That sort of self-deprecation and humility is why everybody likes hanging around you. Do you think I should take the attitude that people should be considerate lucky that I'm here? Exactly. I do. How do you do that. I've seen you do it in every situation. From being on stage to just going into the chemist shop to get some jelly beans, you have that, you're lucky that I'm here. Hello everyone. Well, because they are. Because I'm nice about it. I've always had a policy which is be as polite and nice as possible. That way people don't bitch about you. So it's a self-serving niceness and I think that sort of self-serving pleasantry appeals to people. I just will remind people that the Wow album by Bananarama, of which I have a poster on the wall at home, was number one in this country and that they still hold the record for the most chart entries of any girl group ever. And as Bob Down would say, to sing in unison. I would have thought the Spice Girls might have pipped them, but no. 
Well, here's the pick of the bunch. Pananorama's hot new album, Wow. It's an album and a half with bonus tracks and a whole lot of hits. Grab your free 12-inch single with the LP or bonus tracks on cassette and CD. Bananarama Wow. It's hot. Wow. Bananarama. It's Jackie from Bananarama. Egyptian is still one of the great get up and go early morning songs. Well, particularly since that's by the Bengals. <laughs> yes. So they sort of double up there because Bananarama and Bengals in my head come under the B-A-N section. See, Tim has a really big iTunes list in his head and he only got to the B's. Well, my beautiful wife the other day said, it's not Ron Fines. It's not Ron, it's Rafe. But you get the idea. That's what I said. Just in the UK alone, between 1979, when they formed, and 2009, they had 28 top five singles. 28. Just in the UK. That's extraordinary. The UK is such a tiny country, it's hard to believe there's even room for that many. And that's part of the reason why Stockake and Mortimer now, uh, as a hobby, own trains. Real trains. They actually buy real trains and have their own railroad. And that's their hobby. Wow. What wankers. Executive jet is a real wanking thing, but having your own train, that's literally steampunk. That's true, actually. No, I retract my wanker comment because they're just taking collectability to a much higher level. If it was on your scale, you'd be getting some genuine stuff from the Star Wars set, wouldn't you, and keeping it? I'd be getting entire planets. It just goes to show that when Stock, Aiken and Waterman were kids, they didn't own their own trains. And so they're spending most of their adulthood just getting back their dream. Bananarama fits in because we had the one-year anniversary of What Double J Should Sound Like, our sister podcast. What Double J Should Sound Like. I love that podcast. Apart from the reggae, What Double J Should Sound Like is What Double J Should Sound Like. And we had a party over at Marrickville. I got up and did a set, played a Bananarama song, and Jay Katz ran on stage and said, pay no attention to the man behind the decks that this isn't exactly what Double J should sound like. Probably you need more midnight oil. Close the bug out bag. What was in Maynard's bug out bag? We'll take a brief photo of Tim with that later on so you can all share that. We'll stick that up on the web. Good to hear some Bananarama, hey? Oh, great to hear some Bananarama. Great to see those girls and so many memory. And they're still together. Go on uh, YouTube and have a look at when the uh, Olympics were on in London. They had different groups come on and do songs while they cleaned up the volleyball court. The Benny Hill music would come on and people would come out with rakes and rake the sand for the volleyball. 
And then a group would come on and do a song, and you had people like Jimmy Somerville, Banana Rama, Right Said Fred, just come on and do a song or two, and that was great. And it's the two of them just just having a bit of a sing song, as because they're just now a two piece band, just the two of them. They're still together. They still tour. I, I supported them at the Metro when they played the Metro in the nineties. Wow, Banana Rama helped me get through my teenage week. Hi, I'm Simon Day from Rackat, and you're listening to Bunga Bunga. The Doug Anthony All-Stars are looking at, and this is secret TV news, pitching <laughs> Dust Capital Series 3. I reckon you should go bugger it and pitch Season 4 and never mention that there was a Season 3. Well, that's good, yeah. <laughs> we're going and we're just going to see just how high the blink rate goes of the head of comedy when we ask about that. Um, how can you politely say no to the Doug Anthony All-Stars when they ask for something? That i got to see. Right, I think it's time to open the crank mail, Tim. Crank mail, crank mail, crank mail. What animal is that we can hear pissing at the end of the crank mail theme this week, Tim? This is a very large cat. I mean, a huge cat pissing in an enormous swimming pool and feeling in a great purr of satisfaction. Sounds like it to me. That is satisfied. You know that feeling when you've been bursting and then you pee in a pool? Then you go, ah, that's what that cat is experiencing. Just last night, I just thought quickly, I put this on my, my Facebook page, I put any crank mail for Tim Ferguson, and we've got a few questions for you. You've got a few things to answer, Tim. Yeah, I do feel that there's unfinished business, and I'm very happy to finish it right now. Nicole Miles asks, what is the best plan for world domination and should flying monkeys be involved? Obviously a Wizard for Moz reference there. Flying monkeys, definitely, because the enemy will never see it coming. World domination today doesn't involve changing the minds of the middle classes. It involves empowering the poor and impoverished. The best way to do that is to have flying monkeys stealing stuff, because no one's going to shoot a flying monkey from a sky, and that way they can steal all the stuff and take it round to the impoverished. Then they are empowered and have a bit of protein in their systems. Then we see who runs the world. Speaking of running the world, Patty Mack has got a great question here. She's hanging out for the new series Thunderbirds A Go, which is being screened already and you can see online there. It's a CGI one, much like the way Captain Scarlet was turned into a CGI series as well. What do you think of the new Thunderbirds and uh, do you think that they should stick it on at 5am Saturday like they used to with the old one? Yeah, what do you think of the new version of International Rescue offered up in the new Thunderbirds CGI? Getting Thunderbirds and performing it without puppets is a bit like getting Jaws and performing it with puppets. You lose the thing that made it most attractive in the first place. Nobody really cares about the characters of Thunderbirds. No one really is fascinated by the machines and the spaceships or the home of the Thunderbirds. It was the magic of the puppetry. So CGI Thunderbirds, for me, just doesn't work. You might as well CGI your love life and say, close enough is good enough. It's still got the character of screaming, shouting and oil. The biggest disappointment for me in the new CGI Thunderbirds is the Lady Penelope character is more like a soccer girlfriend kind of thing and they didn't get Sylvia Anderson to do the voice for her. I guess maybe she that might have been too old but they've made her younger and a bit more girlfriends of a footballer. 
So what are they doing with brains? Indian, bit of like an Indian IT nerd. I'm not quite sure if that's a bit of an insulting stereotype or not. It is. It's a bit like Apu. Like normally you could have an archetype, which is like having an idiot character who is the king. But as soon as you have an idiot character who's also an idiot, you move into stereotype territory. You're marking it down for that reason, Tim. Well, it's just less interesting. I would have Penelope Indian, and they were not expecting it, you know, in a blonde wig, asking everybody what they're staring at. That's more interesting than just having a nerd playing an archetypal nerd. Who cares? International Westview. International Westview. It's a bit like Miss Piggy winning a feminist award the other week. Miss Piggy was one of the first feminists, more famous than Jermaine Greer, with fewer detractors. The interview with her and Gloria Steinem was rather interesting. Let's hear a little. While everyone we know thinks it is fabulous that Gloria is receiving this award, there have been a few naysayers out there. Oh, no. Yes. No. Yes. No. Just a few, but some have actually criticised Gloria receiving this award. The coffee is flowing and the muffin is flowing here, and I do mean the actual food. No, we're not making that up. There is a carrot cake muffin that you can only get at Madame Fru Fru Cafe in Glee Point Road. And normally I don't have that kind of thing, Tim. You've, you've talked me into it. I have, and I've twisted your arm, and I'm sorry about that. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, DNC Lifestyle. DNC Lifestyle. Do you lack a lifestyle where you can go into a little tiny hut, have a poop, and go out with no odour emitting? Yeah, we'd like to thank them for being our sponsor here because it is quite cool. The people have been responding big time to the UFO that you can put in your lounge room and the cat gets in. Yeah, the cat gets in. Who knows where it goes, but the next morning it comes back. We're thinking of maybe putting that on some sort of large turntable device and finding a placid cat and just rotating it very slowly because there is a video with the romba of the cat going around. But if you could find something that you could just even just if it was a thing you could turn with your hand and just have the camera on the cat just coming around every once in a while just looking slightly puzzled. I wouldn't want to annoy the cat, but you've got to find a cat that's docile enough that wants to sit there and be spun slowly around. Most cats won't put up with that. But if you put them up high, they've kind of got the perfect cat perch because they do like to see everything. And so long as they're slowly rotated up high, you've got the happiest cat in the world. That's DNC Lifestyle. We thank for their sponsorship of Bunga Bunga 16. A lot of people love their UFO. I put it up on our website and we've got 100 or 150 shares of it. Oh, people love DNC Lifestyle. Who doesn't want to live that sort of lifestyle where someone's thought about just what's going to make life not only just a little bit more comfortable, a bit more easy, but lazier for the layabout cat. And if you're ordering on their website, which is dnclifestyle, all one word, uh, .com, just put in the uh, pussy in the offer code section and you'll get a discount thanks to Bunga Bunga. Pussy being the magical word again. Can't get away from it, can you, really? Oh, I tried, I tried. Look, and something that DNC Lifestyles might not be about, but uh, I know that they would certainly be aware of it, is the 2010 sensation, because we're nothing if coming from tomorrow, Tim, of dog shaming. 
Oh, yeah, shame on Shame, shame. This is where you've seen many photos where if a dog's done something wrong, you write what the dog has done next to it, put that in front of the dog and take a photo of a dog with what it's done wrong, looking a bit shamed for the camera. Now, is there any purpose for this whatsoever, Tim, dog shaming? Well, it's there for the self-satisfaction of the owner who feels like they need somehow to fix up what was done wrong. The dog can't read, so it's not really all that shamed. Yeah, like look, we've had slut shaming, fat shaming, dog shaming. Now, you don't see cat shaming. I know it does happen, but I've got this feeling that people think that cats can actually read, and so they don't do it. It's like trying to shame a Nazi. It's not going to happen. If they seem ashamed, they're faking it. Yeah, you can just imagine the cat reading what it's done. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right. You're going to get double tonight. Yeah, OK, yeah, I suppose. Well, next time I'll try not to take a dump wherever I please. A cat's not really going to be genuine about that. And how's Kittler been going? I believe I'm on Kittler duty for a couple of days coming up. Yes, Kittler is... Uh, well, he's been reading lately, Maynard. <laughs> reading. Right. He reads Game of Thrones. And the funny thing about the cat... Kittler is that the characters most people don't like, he really likes. Like Lannister Senior, he thought had some really good policies. And he was a big fan of the Red Wedding. The Red Wedding, he thought, well, you know, they all had it coming. So he's enjoying parts of that book. He still has a little bit of favouring for Tyrion Lannister, the uh, low-statured Lannister, because he figures eventually he'll come true and just become a greedy bastard. I've read his tweets that he's very unhappy that there's no major feline characters in Game of Thrones. In fact, does any cats get any screen time on that show? Yeah, he's not happy. The wolves get all the fun, so Kittler's not at all happy. He feels underrepresented and actually finds it to be a prejudice against cats. And how's Kittler's writing coming along? Last time you said just staring at the page, nothing coming out. He's written one word, which is mine, and we'll just see how the rest of it works out. That's Kittler, who I will be looking after briefly when you're going away. Yes, I'm going. I don't know where the hell I'm going, but I'm going there. I'm going fast and coming back as quick as I can. I think I might do what they did in Seinfeld. I'll just blow all the fuses in your house and poke the food under the door to the cat. It's the safest way to do it, because once he's in that uniform, you can't stop him. Your beautiful wife, Stephanie, has a great pair of white heels that I noticed coming in the house once that were just discarded just at the side of the bedroom door. I don't want the rest of the story there, but she's got good taste in heels. Oh, she's got great taste in everything. Unless, of course, that was Kittler's shoes. Kittler likes wearing them, but it's a very secret thing. I'll come home and the shoes have moved. What's going on? And he's sitting there, not looking ashamed, but the next best thing. Mm, Looking vaguely proud. (laughs) Vaguely proud and untroubled. I think it's time, thanks to our DNC Lifestyle, that we do Tim's Historical Hypothetical. This is where we take a moment in history. We put Tim Ferguson into that moment and decode that moment, demystify that moment, or ruin it for you forever. Here it comes. I feel a bit nervous and I don't get warned exactly what this scenario will be, so you're in the dark and so am I. Tim's Historical Hypothetical. The year is 2580 BC. Oh, I know where this is going. The place, Egypt. Ah, I wasn't expecting that. You are the fourth dynasty Egyptian pharaoh Khufu. You are starting work on the Great Pyramid, the biggest pyramid ever built. I'm asking you, Tim, as the fourth 
dynasty Egyptian pharaoh, how did you build the Great Pyramid and why? Well, I used alien slaves. See, the thing is, you can get human slaves, but they complain, they revolt. It costs a lot of money, you've got to feed them, whereas alien slaves, it's someone else's problem. So I got thousands of these kind of grey-skinned, bug-eyed, close-encounters extra creatures, and they built it for me using their psychic powers and their little skinny arms. But why? Why did you build the Great Pyramid? Well, somebody said, how about a palace that you could use? And I thought, yeah, yeah, but then everybody's going to want to move in. Everybody's going to want a piece. The kids are going to want to inherit it. Whereas a pyramid, once I'm dead, nobody's going to really say, oh, one thing I do want is that gigantic, useless lump of rock. Tim Ferguson's historical hypothetical, solving nothing for nobody. Hypothetically. What a great time was had in Marrickville. I mentioned it earlier, the first birthday party of what Double J should sound like. I had a very interesting experience in the toilet while I was getting changed, Tim. Didn't we all? And I was very sad that I wasn't there to see it. But tell us, man, what happened? This guy came in and went, bunga bunga, really quietly to me. Wow. Are you sure he was talking about the show? I didn't know immediately, but then he said, and Skeptic Zone, and what Double J should sound like. He's a big fan of the trilogy of podcasts that I do. And I want to thank all the patrons on Patreon, too, all the more than a dozen people now that contribute monthly to help pay for the, the internet or pay for stuff like that, which is really helpful. And it's people like you that help me. I was going to go into selling shoes, but frankly, I'm crap at it. The great thing about the people who are being patrons and Patreon for uh, Maynard is that's how we pay for this microphone that you're hearing. Yep. And that's how Maynard gets backwards and forwards to all of our meetings. So if you're listening now, get onto Patreon and throw a bit of cash so that we can maintain the bunga bunga feeling. You can even be like Daryl Adams, who is just giving $1 a month, you know, very minimal donation, and we're fine to have that. And for giving us a dollar a month, he can insult us as much as he likes. That's right. He can maintain the rubber toy that he likes to hurl insults at. And hello, Daryl, and thank you very much. And the things you say kind of hurt, but we're pretending that they don't. And thank you, Katrina, Patricia, and everyone else on uh, Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Maynard. Go there and just a dollar a month. That would be great. If everyone listening gave a dollar a month or every third person, that would just be great. We could have two microphones or maybe actually be somewhere that wasn't a fucking cafe with a coffee machine in it. And we could afford a topic that's worth talking about. It's a show with no visible or audible format. Unless you're Morrissey, in which case you know what I'll say about you. (laughs) Fuck you, Morrissey. Just a bit of housekeeping here. I am actually addressing the Sydney Podcasters Organisation. Tim, what do you think I should say? The Sydney Podcasters, they're a very strange, squirrely bunch. They think that they're providing a lot to society. At least we recognise that our podcast doesn't improve society at all. I went along and there's people that actually know what they're talking about that are doing shows out there, Tim. I know this will come as a shock, but there was a guy who was an orthodontist, there was a guy who was an industrial engineer, and they wanted to do podcasts about these topics that they actually know about. That's an anathema to us. 
That troubles me. That worries me. I'm not sure if that should be happening. An orthodontist sharing information? Ew. The idea is you can make specialty shows like that. Would, would never get fly on the radio because there's so few people. But you can make a podcast. So even if you've only got a couple of hundred people, all the Australian orthodontists will go, yeah, man, that, that is so true. You know, I have underestimated podcasters, Maynard. I didn't know that they were out there giving tidbits of expertise. So I retract my statement again, as I usually do. This show is full of recriminations. Normally I speak, then I think, and then I speak again, and that's one of those moments. Because who knows, an orthodontist speaking about orthodontistry, it goes worldwide. He's quite capable of amassing thousands, if not millions, of people who've got an interest in it. Have a look on June the 29th in Sydney at the Chippendale Hotel, uh, around about 6 o'clock. The Sydney podcasters will get together, so they're going to be talking about podcasting, why podcasting, who podcasting. If you're a podcaster, come along. If you're not a podcaster and you've got an interested in it, or come along as well. I mean, I can't say my talk will be really great. I'll just be talking about how I do podcasting and a bit about my career, which is, if you're listening to this, you really you don't need to know. But may not you know something, you took Bunga Bunga from two listeners, which was just us, to over 25,000 listeners in just a dozen episodes or more. You have officially declared us the fastest growing podcast in Australia. I have, and so have others. Even the Sydney Morning Herald mentioned Bunga Bunga. It's a Fairfax paper, but it's still a newspaper. That's Sydney Podcasters on Meetup, and it's at the Chippendale Hotel, Monday, June 29th, about six o'clock or so. Turn up and see what happens. But my talk won't be very long. And if that, if that little kid's there, if that little kid's there... <laughs> well, if that little kid's there... Oh, my God, there he is. <laughs> he had something to say about you last episode when you were just telling us about your good looks. He wouldn't put up with a moment of it. It's just like Daryl Adams was when he was a kid. <laughs> and there he is again. And now it's time for Tim to call for a sound effect solo in which I go into the sound effects room for quite a few months and come out with whatever Tim asks for. This is an opera singer assassinating another opera singer. You know, if it's going to happen eventually, you've just got to stay there long enough. They don't just sing opera. We're coming to you live from the Fru Cafe. We apologise for the background noises, but frankly, we don't care. We're getting Tim to pick a CD last. Bunga Bunga. I called for the best of three CDs. He's got two CDs left from that. You've got a choice of a track from the Mighty Wind soundtrack album or a track from the Porkers. In fact, probably Earthquaking, which actually features my trombone on it. I'm going to go with the Mighty Wind. Good choice. Something from the Mighty Wind. That's cool, Tim. Eugene Levy puts in one of his greatest performances. One of my favourite tracks here, um, the folksmen doing their version of the Rolling Stones, Start Me Up's pretty good. Let's have a listen to that too. Just a couple of seconds. If you start me up, start me up. if you start me up, I'll never stop. I've been running hard. You got me ticking, going to blow my top. If you start me up, if you start me up, I'll never stop. You make a dead man come, you make a dead man come, you make a dead man come. And of course the uh, story of coal mining gone horribly wrong. I think it's the old 99 went in the wrong hole, I believe. It's all about, and before you knew it, there was blood on the coal. 
I'm starting to see that now. When I first heard that song, I took it seriously. Well, the slag pits were steaming. It was 7.25. Every miner worked the coal face, every one of them alive. The train came round the corner. You could hear the trestle groan. But the switcher wasn't listening, so he left the switch alone. Blood on the tracks, blood in the mine. Brothers and sisters, what a terrible a time. Terrible time. Oh, 97 went in the wrong hole. Now in mine number 60, there's blood on the coal. Well, the walls began to tremble and the men began to yell. They could hear that lonesome whistle like an echo out of a well. Dropped their picks and shovels as to safety they did run For to stay amongst the living in the year of 91 Blood on the tracks, blood in the mine Brothers and sisters, what a terrible what a time Old oh, 97 went in the wrong hole Now in my number 60 there's blood on the coal Named Murphy said, I'll stop that iron horse As he stood athwart its passage And it crushed him dead, of course And I hope he hears the irony Whene'er this tale is told That the train that took his life Was burning good Kentucky cold Blood on the tracks Blood in the mine Brothers and sisters What a terrible time Ninety-seven Got in the wrong hole Now in my number 60, there's blood on the coal. It's got nothing to do with a rubber phoenix. Nothing to do with it. Time now for Tim's right of reply before we take a brief visit to the Opera House. In the Opera House the other Wednesday when I was there to see Morrissey, I spoke to Morrissey fans who were great to have a chat with. Everybody had a, a sense of humour about it. I think if you had been there, Tim, I don't know if I'd go see Morrissey again, but I really enjoyed the event and it was just an event to be at. He played a lot of songs off his latest album. I love it when a whole pack of the middle classes who didn't do so well at uni get together and sing the songs of a man who really doesn't care whether they live, died, or even bought his album. What about the whole Meters Murder thing? He played that and he had the video of Halal Slaughter going on above him and the whole band was bathed in blood-red lights. That's almost a touch Doug Anthony's, although you wouldn't have been as obvious as that, would you? Well, no. I mean, meh, 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 Meters Murder, and then you show a video of a whole bunch of animals being cruelly murdered. That's supposed to make us all stop eating beef. Seriously, Morrissey, grow up. If you really want to make a point that changes people's mind, apply a bit of humour to the whole thing. You can't can't bludgeon people with one crying mask unless they agree with you anyway. But before all that, and to get us out of Bunga Bunga 16 and make us contemplate Bunga Bunga 17, and don't forget if you want to send us uh, some crank mail of your own, we answer questions, we take topics, we might do requests. It's maynard at maynard.com.au is the email address. My Twitter address is maynardcomal, all one word. That's maynard, C-O-M-A-U, all one word. And Tim's Twitter is... Real Tim Ferguson, at Real Tim Ferguson. Message me there and say something wholesome for a change. And if you want to catch up with what the Doug Anthony All-Stars are up to, the website is... 
Das Live, D-A-A-S Live at Facebook, yada, yada, whatever it is. Or just jump on the Bunga Bunga Facebook page, which is there. We've got lots and lots of people uh, listening there, talking about things and going, when's the next episode? And the answer is, as soon as possible. More Patreon, more episodes. And if you want to, you know, do one of my courses, read one of my books, or find out what the hell's going on in the world of comedy, you can always go to cheekymonkeycomedy.com and it will disappoint you and yet strangely affirm you. We thank DNC Lifestyle once again for their sponsorship of the show. They're not into dog shaming, cat shaming, they're into owner shaming. Remember to put in the product code PUSSY and you'll get a discount at DNC Lifestyle. People want to know what's for, what's up, what's why and who's that. It's time for Tim Ferguson's Right of Reply. Don't expect too much. Way, way, way back, uh, King <coughs> signed a document known as the Magna Carta. Are you making this up? No, what happened was a whole bunch of barons got together and said, well, you're not the boss of us. You can't just go coming around to our place, grabbing us and hanging us just because you feel like it. And they forced him, using money really, to sign a document which is the cornerstone of Western society, of Westminster culture, whereby someone is innocent until proven guilty and a couple of other things relating to ownership and law. The French don't do it that way. No, the French don't do anything that way. For starters, they use too much butter. Well, Tony Abbott and his fledgling child of the mind, Peter Dutton, otherwise known as the Immigration Minister, have decided that habeas corpus is okay. But if you believe in habeas corpus, if you adopt this idea of the Magna Carta, then you are soft on terror. Basically, they were calling out Bill Shorten and also some of their own Liberal Party cabinet as being soft on terror because of their questioning of Tony Abbott's attempts to just give the Minister for Immigration the power to cancel passports without a trial, without police investigation, without any proof. The minister can just write a document and cancel a passport, no further questions asked. This is what the whole Magna Carta was bringing to a stop. This was the end of just being able to turn up to someone's house and say, you are no longer a citizen, we're going to set fire to you and there's nothing you can do about it. So either Abbott is an idiot or he's taking five steps forward, hoping that even two steps back will not be enough to undo this. Terror is just like communist Russia in the way it's treated. Because when communist Russia was alive and there were nuclear weapons pointed at everybody, governments were perfectly happy for Russian spies to be treated as badly as could be treated without being told about it. These days you wind the clock forward and you have ISIS and a bunch of terror guys. And same thing, the public are scared and quite rightly of these guys. And so they figure just do anything, do anything. And yeah, forget all this left wing, soft on terror, magna carta, cornerstone of human democratic society crap. Just get it off me, get it off me. But the simple fact is, that it is wicked and wrong and will not work out to give one person power. Because if Tony Abbott thought 10 years ahead, he would be talking about an immigration minister of whom he knows nothing today. An immigration minister who would have powers far beyond any immigration minister in the whole democratic world. He has to stop and think ahead because that sort of power misused can't be put back in the tube. Well, let's say, okay, uh, would he like Tanya Plibersek having that power? 
I don't think he would at all. In fact, he's trying to keep power off them at all costs. Very seriously, this has to come to a stop. The Magna Carta and the foundations of our society cannot be thrown aside just because everybody's scared. If you think someone's being a terrorist, you grab them, you put them in front of a court, you prove it, and then you lock up them in jail. It's like any kind of crime. It just happens to be darker and dumber repercussions than most crimes. You've been listening to Tim Ferguson's right of reply. It's always dark and it's usually always dumb. It's always dark. Chairman Mao said, things are always darkest before they go completely black. And it worked out well for him. Oh, Mao just lived on all the Chinese food he could eat. He liked girls too. Don't expect too much. Well, I think that serious tone leads us quite well into Morrissey at the Opera House the other Wednesday when I was there with uh, some Morrissey fans just before and just after the show. Join us, won't you? Welcome to what is sure to be a very exciting evening. You're, you're hearing Maynard, the last of the Red Hot Playboys, and I'm tonight with someone who'll be known only as Swadehead, or actually it's Grant. Hi Grant, how are you? Hi, great. We're going to see a guy that I've paid out on a lot. In my entire career I've paid out on Morrissey many times, particularly I think it was the 99 tour when he sneezed and he, he at Brisbane and then he cancelled the whole tour and went home again. Everyone was very upset with him about that one. He is very particular, that Moz. Mm. In fact, tonight I believe there's no meat anywhere near the Opera House. No, not at all. And we're going to get some dinner beforehand, so God knows what we'll be having. We're going to be talking to people about Morrissey. I've got my Morrissey glasses. I look exactly like Morrissey. I may get mobbed. They um, won't know the difference. I know. I, although, hang on, I'm wearing a leather trench coat. Does he go with the leather or not? I would assume not. Oh, I might be on the rough side of a few Morrissey fans. <laughs> Let's just see how our evening goes. Now, we, we had a look at the uh, we had a look at the merch, Morrissey mm. merchandise, and there was some good stuff. He's taken the piss in quite a good way. It's not very often you get someone who has merchandise of a pillowcase. That is pretty good. He's also got a shirt that says, be kind to animals or I'll kill you, Morrissey. Yeah. And there's a little photo of him on the pillowcase and it says, sleeping with Morrissey. Yeah, That's... who doesn't want to? Now, I thought there'd be a, a little bit more black, a little bit more of a Newtown look going on here, but it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem as Newtowny as I thought. No, not at all. What song are you looking for the most? Obviously, I want to hear Dagenham Dave, but I think oh. I may be disappointed. Frankly, Mr. Shankly, I think I may be disappointed with that one as well. I'd like Piccadilly Polare, but I think I'm going to be disappointed with that. Mm, Although you never know. You've seen him twice before, but I have, and he has pulled out a few surprises, but not that one. We've run into our first two Morrissey fans for the evening, well, at least one anyway, because you've got the very impressive Morrissey T-shirt on there. Oh, thank you, I have, yes. Now, yes. now when did you get on to Morrissey? The Smiths, or even, you know, when? Yeah, the Smiths. Yeah, I remember hearing Ask for the first time on the radio, and I was just blown away by it, and mm. went into a Bratches record store. They said, oh, it's not off an album, but they had an album called The Queen Is Dead. So I picked it up and took it home and just remember hearing it and literally fell back on the couch, just kind of blown away by it. And were you hanging out with friends that accepted that or were you hanging out with friends that paid out on you for liking Morrissey and the Smiths? Two sorts of people, people who get it and people who don't. A bunch of guys at school who kind of were really into music and yeah, they kind of liked it. And then and then a little bit later on, turned 18 and kind of the alternative clubs and things. And then most of the friends came from there. And It is a blast when you finally get to dance to Morrissey on the dance floor. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You also a fan? Yes, I am. Absolutely. I'm a fan of his later work. I love Dagenham Dave. I might be the only person in this entire <laughs> building tonight that thinks Dagenham Dave is his best work. What do you like the most? Well, we were actually discussing this the other day and Ooh. I think my favourite must be Vauxhall and I, so oh, yeah, okay. it just has to be hands down my favourite. What are you hoping he'll sing from that tonight? Oh, 
I was actually here last night, so... So you know, you have psychic knowledge. I do, I do a little, but I'm just happy to sit back and listen to it all again. How's he looking? He he hasn't really gone the Robert Smith way, extending his postcode. No, no. He looks great. He looks great, I think. And he hasn't been well. Although he's always looked as if he hasn't been well. He's always looked like he's just recovering from a cold. No, no, he looks fabulous. Fabulous. It's all good. Have a good night. Thank you. So, Grant, what have we got going on here? There's no actual support for Morrissey. He's playing some of his favourite clips. There is a huge screen covering the front of the stage of the Opera House. We came into the Ramones playing. We are almost up the back, really. In fact, we are gods. Gods overseeing our Morrissey kingdom. This is my extreme... on the actual Morrissey merchandise desk. So what's really moving tonight? I've got to say, I do like the pillowcase. Yeah, pillowcases and tourities is where we're at tonight. Absolutely. Can you describe what kind of person's buying the merchandise? Is it particularly black Nuketown kind of person or? It's really all over the shop. There's young and old people here and, and everybody's just loving the Morrissey vibe. And what's a surprise sale tonight? What's the one that's really moving that you wouldn't expect? Maybe the tote bags, say be kind to animals or I'll kill you. Even though I'm no huge Morrissey fan, that fucking pillowcase is very attractive. Oh yeah, no, they're great. You're going to be rushed later, so I hope you get out of here alive. Thanks, mate. of Morrissey tonight, you're obviously a fan. Yes, very much so. Yeah. What did you think of his selection of songs? Oh, I thought it was interesting that he was only doing mostly new stuff, but it still sounded fantastic. And he's obviously confident in the new material. I thought he was a bit Elvis-esque. He always has been. Yeah, you know? And didn't you love how people were running up and grabbing him on stage? That was cool. Yeah, probably more of that, but the opera house is a bit formal for it, I guess. Have you seen Morrissey before? I have, once before. And how was tonight? Tonight was good, a bit brutal with the imagery. Meter's murder was pretty powerful, wasn't it? Yes, it was. A bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good thing he came back and did a nice song afterwards. Yeah, I know. He needed to end on a happy note. What's your favourite Morrissey song you did not hear tonight? Uh, not like a favourite Smith song I didn't hear, but stop me if you've heard this one before. And were you tempted to rush on stage there like so many people did tonight? No, I didn't get a chance. <laughs> I'm with a few people. Oh, okay, this man won't talk because men don't talk about Morrissey apparently. Who have we got here? Kelly and Susan. How big Morrissey fans are you and how was the show tonight? Have you seen him before? Mayor, yes, and this is the third time that I've been turned back in First of the Gang to Die on stage. Oh. He's trying to get up on stage. Oh. Oh. So I must explain, about four or five women rushed him on stage and were thrown off and you no, tried no, to do that always just women it's men as well in fact it's often men <laughs> oh look i would have rushed in myself i reckon it was 90 seconds from where i was to the front but i didn't do it what stopped you from touching morrissey tonight of oh, the guard the bodyguard yeah up and put me back in the audience okay. what do you think of his choice of songs tonight a lot of new stuff tonight lots yeah. and lots more new stuff than last night it was but i love his new album it's incredible yeah. i thought on stage he was a touch elvis a touch paul mcdermott <laughs> 
very much because I've always thought Paul McDermott had an essence of Morrissey about him. Well, Tim Ferguson, Paul always argue because Paul thinks that he's ironic and Tim just hates him. So they don't get on about the Morrissey issue. It's something they don't talk about. They should talk about it more and he should bring Tim around because he's missing Look, I tried to bring Tim tonight and he said no. Tim gave me a hug, but Morrissey, Morrissey, no hugs. It's just not fair. You're a big Morrissey spender. You've been here before. Yeah, I came last night. You too? Yes, I was here last night and I'm coming to the other two concerts as well. Well, You've got to think when Morrissey comes to tour, you have to assume it's the last time, don't you? I don't like to think that. Not because he's unwell, just because he doesn't do it that often. Yeah. And we all remember 1999, don't we? Brisbane then fucked off. No, that was 92. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right, Maynard. Come on. Look, sorry, if he had been touring in 1990, he probably would have done the same thing. What's a song you would want? Oh, um, I mean, generally I'm very happy with whatever Morrissey is happy to give me. Which um, leads me to the next song. <laughs> what is it about Morrissey that makes you go see him so much, are so interested in him? What is the thing? Sure, he's a sexy guy, he reads, but there's more than that. <laughs> it's love. You fall in love with him when you're a teenager and you just don't fall out of love. Yeah, it's very hard to put into words. He just has this somethingness that just draws us all in. He can say things that we all think about, we all feel. Hang on, what have we got here? What's this? What's Morrissey's shirt. This is fucking Morrissey's shirt? Yes. <laughs> From when? Tonight. Tonight. There's a criminal act, there's theft involved here. <laughs> no, 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 he throws it to the audience. It's the sleeve, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Grant, how about that? I touched Morrissey's fucking sleeve. Morrissey's sleeve. The scent of Morrissey. And here's some people that were just sitting near me. I'm Craig. And you're? Jody. Great outfit, Jody. Wheels and Doll Baby or something more intriguing? No, something more intriguing. I thought it was a bit Morrissey, you know, very new romance, bit of lace, bit okay. of frills. Now, what didn't he do you wanted to hear tonight? It was very much new stuff, but that was fine. Morrissey is very self-indulgent. We all know that. And he's coming on the back of this on his biography. So, of course, he's going to be wanting to do a biographical kind of musical show. And that's fine. I thought the band were amazing. I thought the lighting was amazing. Oh, yeah. How did you find the whole Meters murder thing? Pretty intense. Uh, I tried to actually look away from that. <laughs> yes. yeah. I've, I kept my eyes peeled on the drummer and, and not on the images. They're a bit full on for me. Yeah. Why do you love Morrissey so much? Uh, I like the Smiths, but I'm actually more of a Johnny Marr fan, but uh, I'm so, seeing... So will you ever forgive jo- Johnny Marr for working with Brian Ferry the way he did? Actually, Slave to love and all that. Come on, that was Johnny Marr. And he'll break up the Smiths. That's fine. What he's doing these days is probably better than what he was, what he was doing back then. He's a pop star now. He's a rock star. And he looks the same. He looks awesome. He's got the dark hair and he looks like a member of the church now. <laughs> In a good way. So why do you love Morrissey so much? Because try and get it across okay. to people. Because most people go, he's some dweeb. Totally, I know this, because he helped me through my teenage years. When I was 16 and alone in my bedroom, Morrissey was there with me, along with Frank Black from the Pixies as well, I have to say. And he was here last year, so it's been like a very weird kind of the last two years, these bands coming back and reliving our childhood and reliving those horrible years, but in a much brighter and lighter way. So it was that angst of not knowing quite what was going on in the world, and Morrissey helped you give word to that. Definitely. He was a loner. He would been. He was an outcast. He read. He he read. He was an intellectual, and he sang for us. He sang songs for us. They were anthems of the you know the outsider, the the one person who didn't fit in normally. I think. But he didn't do Dagenham Dave. I have to. How many times? He, that's my favourite <laughs> song of his. I love Dagenham Dave. Dagenham Dave. Dagenham Dave. Pause. Dagenham Dave. That's great. It's almost Bob Downish. He's camp, but he's not that camp. I did like it when he tore his, t- his shirt off tonight and threw it into the crowd. I, was- I touched his armhole. No. Yes. 
No, you're I too did. far away. Someone People had his arm on. Oh, I touched oh, his arm. They ripped, they ripped that shirt apart. I'm at the opera bar now. Grant, what did you make of Morrissey? You are a huge Morrissey fan. And we touched Morrissey's actual oh, fucking yes. well, sleeve. No, you touched Morrissey's sleeve. How did it smell? It didn't actually smell as sweaty as I thought, but then again, it was his sleeve and it had been waved around for a while. What did you think of his set tonight? You enjoyed it because there was lots of new stuff. Morrissey's one of the few artists that I love his new material. My God, his new stuff is good. Why do you love him so much? We've heard people say that they got him through their teenage years, but that didn't happen with you. Does anyone really know why they love anything? They just feel something, and... I was at my brother's place in Melbourne and I was going through boxes of CDs under the spare bed and one of them was Hatful of Hollow and this charming man, the live version, was amazing and it impacted and it was great. For those people who think that Morrissey is just a bit of an ironic whacker and he's a bit up himself, what do you say to them to finish off our evening with Morrissey in 2015? You know... Everyone's entitled to their opinion, and maybe, maybe he can be a little bit poncy, but fuck it. He means a lot to a lot of people, and he means a lot to me. Head in the clouds and a mouthful of pie. Head in a blouse, everybody loves him, I see why. Dagon and Dave, Dagon and Dave, oh, Dagon and Dave.
very disappointing to hear all those middle-class people say what a wonderful time they had. Didn't hear one working-class accent among them. I'm pretty sure one of those guys was the chief of the Young Liberals. I was sickened by that display, people. Sickened. Well, that's just Tim's opinion. I had a good time. Well, that's true. You're such a buzzkill. I am a bit of a buzzkill, but seriously, he didn't talk to the staff at the Opera House. And he took their meat away. He took their meat away. You couldn't buy a meat pie anywhere on the Opera House grounds the night Morrissey was there. This is Australia. Go back where you came from. Oh, Mr Maynard, what a mess! You've been listening to Bunga Bunga 16. Bunga Bunga 16? That's 16 episodes of Bunga Bunga. See, my thought process works very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Bunga Bunga. Perfins in a coma. I know it's serious. Bunga Bunga. Perfins in a coma. I know it's serious. There were times when I could have murdered her. Anti-Morrissey, ah, cause I'm a meat eater, 
On Maynard.com.au Hey you! Yeah. 